Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Ziad Ahmed, CEO, and Shaina Yafar, Chief People Officer at Juve Consulting. Juve Consulting is a purpose-driven Generation Z consultancy that works with clients to help them reach young people. The company's worked with over 20 Fortune 500 companies. Ziad is a rising senior at Yale University. He was named in 2019 to Forbes 30 Under 30 list at the age of 19. Ziad started the company Juve Consulting in 2016 while I was still in high school. Ziad has also founded the nonprofit Redify. Through Redify, Ziad has been recognized as a 2017 global teen leader, a high school trailblazer by MTV, and a top 15 young prodigy changing the world by Business Insider. Shaina is a rising senior at the University of Pennsylvania, and while in high school, she founded Code for a Cause. This was a program that allowed young girls that were typically underrepresented in fields of STEM and political science the ability to learn about both areas in an interdisciplinary manner. Partnering with the Girl Scouts and Microsoft, participants in the program used MIT Scratch to create games and presentations about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. China has been recognized as a Coca-Cola scholar, a Ronald McDonald scholar, she was also the youngest speaker at the United Nations and the World Bank for International Young Leaders Assembly and received the President's Volunteer Service Award. 
This is quite a powerhouse duo on the podcast today. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ziad and China. Welcome to the show, Ziad and China. How are you guys? Doing okay. Uh, better now that chatting with you. So, so looking forward to this conversation. Awesome. Shaina, you doing well too? Yes, I can't complain too much. We're eating good home-cooked meals, so life is good as best as it can be in these times. Yes, yeah, I agree. I agree. A good home-cooked meal makes you feel a lot better. Well, uh, I wanted to uh, start off, I guess, by asking when and how did you guys start Juve Consulting? Yeah, so like I mentioned, I'm 21. We, we both just finished up our junior years in high school, but I started Juve Consulting when I was a junior in high school around a little over four years ago, which feels crazy to even say out loud. And basically, I started Juve Consulting in 2017, early 2017, as I started a nonprofit, an organization called Redefy, uh, when I was in eighth grade, which is a by teens for teens social justice advocacy group that creates resources to essentially make schools more equitable and inclusive. And through that, I found myself in rooms and places that I never even dreamt were possible. And I realized how often you know, industry leaders, major politicians were talking about young people, but not to young people. And it didn't sit right with me. And so my junior year of high school, I got together with two friends and said, you know what? They need to be hearing from us, diverse young people right now, if they want to connect with us, if they want to reach us, and if they want to make tomorrow better and brighter. And so we did just that. We started Juve Consulting, which is this platform and company that is full of the most incredible diverse generation Z voices. And then we work with our clients to co-create products, campaigns, and ideas that actually resonate with us. And never did I think when I started the company in 2017 that, you know, we'd be where we are today. And it's been quite the whirlwind to say the least from then to now. But I'm extremely lucky and privileged and grateful for the opportunities that I've had access to and, and to be on this journey as, uh, as, as I, I love what I do. That's awesome. And as you guys, we were talking before we started recording, you're both rising seniors, I get it. Ziad, you're at Yale, and Shaina, you're at Penn. And uh, I guess, Ziad, just starting a company at that early of an age, any any worries, any concerns that you had early on in the, in the first couple of years? I mean, look, I still have concerns, but um, I absolutely, right? I mean, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I had passion. I had a service that, the marketplace needed and that was purpose-driven and built on an ethos of values that were centered in, in our perception, something that was really necessary and something that would really make the world better and brighter. And I think we've proven that with our work. So certainly, you know, starting a young, starting a company as a young person always comes with challenges and starting a company as a 17-year-old, no, is that how old I was? Yeah, I think so. 17 years old, right? Certainly came with unique challenges and people outing you, right? And having to learn everything on the go and on the fly and on the job. And I think we have innovated and learned and grown in ways that I, I didn't know were possible. But I also, to be frank, right, I, I never expected Juve to become this. When I started Juve, I was still mostly focused on Redefy, my nonprofit and school and the realities of being a high school student and student government and all of those things. This was just an idea that I had and something that I felt had to exist that I didn't see existing at the time. And so I started it, but I, I really expected it to be the side project, you know, that would um, just be some one of the things that I did. I, I never expected to consulting to become my entire, it's not my entire life, but it's damn near it. And I never expected that. And so I think the growth of the company has really happened rather organically. And, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they start a company with this grand vision of being a unicorn. We had no such ambition. This was something that we just felt 
we wanted to do that we thought would make the world a little better. So we decided to do it. And really because of how much we've fallen in love with what we do and how much need we see for what there is that we do, we keep doing it because it's fulfilling and because it's exciting, but certainly have had to jump through certain hoops that we didn't know were going to be there to get here, um, like having to be so good that they can't discount us on account of our age. Got it. What was the most businesses I've either been a part of or, or have interviewed other folks that have started businesses, there's usually a moment, a big break, if you will. Sometimes it doesn't feel so big in the moment, but a, a turning point, if you will. So I'm curious, what was your first big break, if you will? Yeah. So I would, I would say our first big break was a Bloomberg Business Week spread that we got, I think, around six months after we launched, which is crazy. And it was in print and it was in the new money issue. And we were so lucky for that to happen. And the way that it happened was, you know, part of a big break in that, you know, one of our first clients was this new publication that focuses on Gen Z masculinity called Very Good Light. And David He, who we just actually featured on, on our Juve Consulting Instagram, you know, has a, a lot of amazing journalist friends. And, you know, you got talking to them and one of them interested in writing a piece about us. And we end up in Bloomberg Business Week as high schoolers who had just started this company. And that was a massive break for us that really put us on the radar a lot of people in business and marketing is who are these kids and what are they doing and do I need this and where did this come from and obviously that in and of itself doesn't make or break a company right we had to then figure out how to process those those requests and deliver on something that was actually going to make people keep on wanting to talk to us right and keep on wanting to work with us and so we've constantly bettered ourselves and challenged ourselves to rise to the occasion but that to me is if I could identify one moment that felt like, holy cow, how did we get here? And this is going to be something a lot bigger than any of us expected. It was that moment when a Bloomberg you know, photographer came to my house and did a photo shoot. And here I was not knowing what to wear or how to pose or, or what any of this would mean. And having and, and growing from that to now has been truly incredible, to say the least. Got it. Let's talk about what services do you guys provide? What is what does Juve Consulting do? So as a purpose-driven company, we always think about people and purpose first and how exactly is Gen Z being empowered by our work? And that comes to fruition through our three main services. So the first service is the research process. Thinking about it as the foundation of all the work that we'll be doing, we have a network called The Vine that has over 3,000 Gen Zers from across the world. And essentially, it serves as this ecosystem of different Gen Zers and diverse voices where we send qualitative and quantitative um, different like research services to them. And then that really serves as a sounding board to post test ideas. If a brand has a new campaign, a new product, what are those immediate gut reactions that young people have to that said concept? The second part of our services is the strategy component. We have over 50 consultants uh, give or take in our network that basically are the point people to create those products and campaigns and, and different brand identities and purpose with our clients. And along with strategy, the very last part is focused on implementation. The dream is that we get to do more full creative agency work. So with implementation, we do everything from TikTok campaigns in less than a week to workshops, Gen Z crash courses, and different influencer marketing for the given campaign that we're doing with a client. 
Got it. And Shaina, what is like what does your everyday look like? <laughs> you're the chief people officer. You've got this huge network that you're, I'm assuming, like curating and managing and, and engaging with. And then you've got this work that's going on, both strategy as as well as the the implementation part. What does your day what look like? Yeah, the interesting thing of, of being at a Gen Z startup is that the work changes every single day. But the good thing is that we have each other to hold one another accountable. And if we need to hustle something out, it's really, really encouraging and refreshing to know that I have such a good support system of an incredible team of folks around me. And most of the time, the work will obviously change on a daily basis. But for example, when we have a survey, we know what our priority is when it comes to pushing it out, thinking about when's the rest time to bump it, thinking about the climate and the moment that we're living in and all these real realities that young people are facing. And then also understanding that there might be other work that we have to do, but how do we execute that in a thoughtful, compassionate, and action-oriented way always? I think something that we are mindful of in all of our work is that purpose piece. And we don't want to do anything that feels like it's the antithesis of what JUICE stands for as a company. So whenever it comes to the work that we're doing on a day-to-day basis, we get to focus on those big ideas and we get to focus on the smaller day-to-day initiatives that we want to take on as well. A lot of the work that I do is ingrained back in our social impact and values overall as a company. And that's evolved for us all the time. We don't believe in staying quiet when there is something happening that we don't believe in. So there have been times where given the context and the climate of the world that we're living in, our HR policies, our company culture policies, how we think about ourselves as a remote company that's still able to thoughtfully engage with our networks, our that which whether that's client facing and externally or more importantly, even internally, it's our responsibility to make sure that we're providing our team with the necessary resources that they might need, whether that's they about support in their capital and in our voices and the platforms that we have. So most recently, a lot of our work has been around engagement with COVID-19, with, with assistance for people who need it the most, to assisting different organizations that are doing work on the grassroots level and advocacy that are there for young people. And then thinking about how to bring different clients together to, to have those conversations with us and facilitate another wave of action and, and and really impactful work that's done with the right intentionality. Got it. And so what does getting started with a client even look like? Like what is the first interaction, if you will? Yeah, for sure. So it varies and to, to the extent to how we even get to meet a client. Sometimes it's the odd, there's someone on our C-suite just giving a presentation and someone saying, I need to know who this kid is. And then other times it's just an email coming into our inbox where we're just answering and setting up that first initial call. It always starts with a conversation of just talking about what Juve does, why we exist, and what the purpose of the company is. And then from there, we basically go through the normal business behaviors of thinking about the SOW and what what, what is the fit. But because of the conversation that we first have a client, we always, always, always think about that as a partnership. What is it that our clients and our team is providing to them? And what is their need and their ask? And the idea isn't just to meet those expectations. It's to exceed and to deliver something that truly is exciting and bold and creative for our clients. I think people are really excited to talk to a 14-year-old when your day is just going by casually in the normal in the normal business world. And 14-year-olds are talking to massive Fortune 500 companies. There are kids in our network that literally take phone calls in between classes when they have a break or go on the side to, to work on a deck and create something really beautiful. But all of this is happening in hyper- 
quick, like hyper fast time. So the way that that really looks with the client is having that conversation, understanding what their intent is, and then how are we being mindful of what we expect out of our clients and what young people expect out of our clients, and then manifesting that in the actual work that we're doing. My mind is kind of blown, frankly, because as a 14-year-old, I think the only job that I could get was bagging groceries. And you're telling me that you got 14-year-olds consulting with um, and providing value to Fortune 500s. I would have dreamed of trying to do something like that. I don't know. I, I wouldn't have even dreamed of doing that. Like It, it wouldn't have even entered my mind. Um, so I, I'm really impressed, frankly, that you guys have launched. You're, you're doing this work. That's pretty impressive, frankly. Thank you. We, we, we appreciate that. And, and I think it's important to note, though, that, that that's a challenge, actually, that a lot of kids don't even dream that this is possible. And so it's our job and the onus is on us as a company to find the kids who wouldn't Google search, how do I get involved in Gen Z consulting, but who still have a vital voice to offer that pushes us forward as a company because we are at our best when we represent the myriad of experiences within Gen Z that exist, right? And that make the cultural fabric of our generation. And so we try to be very intentional to ensure that our team of 14 to 24 year olds from all around the world and country are reflective of the diverse background that Gen Z is that Gen Z is characteristic of. And that's something we're always striving towards to be more diverse and more representative because that's really true of who we want to be as a company and based on our values. I love that. Well, you're, you know, you guys are operating in a rather traditional business space, right? Consulting research, agency work, and you definitely sound different. And I think you're, you're kind of attempting to say this is not business as usual, but how does that manifest itself, if you will? Yeah. So I think that Juve certainly is not business as usual. And I think just being a company of all generations years is the tip of the iceberg insofar as, of course, we're not a typical agency and that I'm a 21-year-old CEO who's also a full-time student, right? And insofar as we have 15-year-olds who are picking up the phone in between classes to make consulting magic happen and to implement on major TikTok campaigns. And so I, I think, obviously, we are different. But beyond that, I think the, the number one thing about how we approach business differently is I think in the world has told nonprofits for a long time, you need to act more like businesses, be leaner, be meaner. And we look at the world and we say, no, companies need to act a lot more like nonprofits. They need to know what is your why, right? Why do you show up to work every day and why do you do what you do? And how does every decision that you're making connect back to that why? And if it doesn't, you're doing something wrong. And so the way that we believe in doing business is from really coming from a place of purpose and for our actions to tell the story of that purpose at every level. And so when we operate our business, we try to be intentional about every little decision. And that looks like scrutinizing, is this panel or is this thing I'm getting involved with diverse enough for me to legitimize it? That looks like our hiring practices. That looks like the company culture internally that we're cultivating. That looks like our process of vetting, should we work with this client or not? But it looks like our value showing up at every level. And I think what's most important that differentiates us from an agency, perhaps in the agency world, is we do not believe the client is always right. And we make that very clear to our team. You know, I'm not known in the business world to bite my tongue. We believe in speaking truth to power. And I tell my team repeatedly, I would rather lose every client that we have by speaking truth to power than ever gain a single client by being something that we're not. We are telling our team that we are this diverse team of young people from all around the world with big opinions and varied life stories and big dreams of the world. And I'm telling my team, we need to show up with all of that. I don't believe that your personhood and your professional self are separable. 
I believe that we bring our whole selves to work and we should. We come to work with our trauma, with our identity, with our hopes, with our dreams, with our fear. And so we try to be a really human company that represents and shows up for them. And it doesn't mean that we're rude or combative. Of course, we want to be strategic and productive, but it means that we're always going to push the envelope, even when it makes folks a little uncomfortable, because that's what we believe the business world ought to look like. Being willing to be uncomfortable in pursuit of larger goals that actually push people forward. And that's where we operate from as a company, as an agency. And I don't think there are very many out there like us. I tend to agree. I tend to agree. I mean, and the passion that you have for the business and the what you stand for and what you don't, it definitely comes through. So I can understand if you can get a conversation, you can definitely stand out in a, a really traditional space for sure. Yeah. And, and, and I think what China was saying is absolutely correct. And what you're saying is when we get that conversation, that initial conversation, people are like this, this is what we've been waiting for. And now calling with their teams is their favorite part of their day because it breaks up the corporate monotony that they're so tired of, where people are itching for new and innovative solutions that bring new ideas to the table and then bring new voices into the fold. And that's what we're offering. And it's really fun to be able to do it and, and, and meaningful. Well, this year has been like, no other. I, I mean, it, that's the understatement of the century, I think. But has what you do changed this year with COVID-19 and even more recently with Black Lives Matter movement and you know the movement towards racial equality? Just curious how things have changed. Yeah. I mean, look, we have always been a purpose-driven company. That's not new. But in the last few months, we've had to really ask ourselves, how do we show up for the people who need us most during a time when there is so much suffering and so much righteous outrage. And, and how do we practice what we preach? And, you know, that has looked like, as I think Shina has alluded to, uh, the COVID-19 grants that we gave out to young people who've been disrupted by this moment. You know, it looks like, of course, the corporate donations that we've given to Black organizations doing the vital grassroots organizing to get us closer towards racial justice. But we've taken a lot of steps internally and externally to push our clients to be doing more and to release campaigns with our clients that are appropriately sensible to this moment and that actually help people. We did the Yahoo Creators Contest that um, is giving $100,000 to creators who are using creativity to get through this moment. We've partnered with Jansport to do the Unpack That Challenge challenge and gave 12,500 backpacks to World Central Kitchen with necessities inside of them. And we've been having so many internal conversations about how we can be better and learn and learn from the Black community and Black leaders and from those who are suffering to be the, better, the best company that we can be by changing our internal practices regarding hiring, regarding creating resources that educate on the painful history of this country and how it's left the vulnerable to fend for itself so often and completely eviscerated communities? And how do we try to spend our privilege to help those same communities that have been exploited historically in this country for so, 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 so long? So we've been having, we've been taking steps to that in terms of amplifying creators and organizations that deserve amplifying right now and that need it and partnering with people like Freedom March NYC, founded by two amazing Black young women, and taking them on as a pro bono client and helping them and spending our privilege and using our access and agency to support them. So those type of actions are certainly like the most immediate response to your question. You know, like have we pivoted all our projects because of the last few months? Yes. Have we had infrastructural efforts internally to respond to everything that's happened in the last six months? Absolutely, yes. But we've never had to really steer far from our ethos. We exist to empower young people. That was always true, and we've always shown up for that. 
we've shown up for even more because there's a lot of young people that need empowering right now. And we're trying to do that as responsibly and thoughtfully as possible, but also as quickly because the need is now, not six months from now. It will still exist six months from now. We'll keep trying to show up for it. But young people right now, young Black people, you know, young people impacted by COVID-19, et cetera, need support right now. And we're trying to be a company that shows up for that and that convinces our clients to show up for that and that executes on that internally and externally at every level. But I would say that this is a moment, right, that should allow us all to take pause for one moment and say, are we doing enough? And I think the question is always no, but that we have to do more. This is lifelong work. This is not a moment. This is not a moment in time. Systemic racism is not new. This country's perverse healthcare problem is not new. These are problems that have existed for a very long time. And if we are interested in a tomorrow that is better than today, this is lifelong work that we must commit ourselves to if we want the justice that we want to see in the world. And we've always been a company that's working towards a more just tomorrow. And so we have committed ourselves to being part of this lifelong work, not because this is a trend right now or because there is a momentary incentive to get involved, but because we really believe that we cannot keep going as usual. Black men have a one in 1,000 chance of dying at the hands of police. Over 2 million Americans have been tested positive for COVID-19. These are not small problems, and they do not take small solutions. They take real commitment and grit and passion and conviction. And so we are hoping to offer that as individuals, as a company, as peers, as a community, as a generation, because this world needs systemic change at so many levels. And we want to be a part of that where possible. And so as an individual, me and China have taken a host of actions. And as a company, we have as well. But this is only the beginning, because there's so much that needs to change. And we fully intend to be behind that where we can be. Yeah, I really love how you speak to the issues and the the longstanding problems that society, frankly, has had. It's true. And frankly, I've been doing this for about five years, this podcast. And uh, in the last couple of years, this recurring theme of call it income inequality, the divide between portions of society actually keeps coming up in conversation and um, with really bright marketers. And as I've read more and more about it, I mean, you know, even the financial community, people like Ray Dalio says that, you know, these are the structural problems that are going to lead to, they can be solved in one or two ways, right? Conflict, which is likely where we're headed, or we can do the hard work that you're just describing. So, I mean, I applaud your efforts, your passion. You're very articulate in outlining the issue and the the call to action. So thank you for doing that. No, thank you. And and I think you're absolutely right, right? These, these are not new problems. And there are things that will require real structural change. I think now is is a moment to lean into compassion and taking action wherever possible. But we also hope that that continues forever because we really do need to reorient the marketing world, the business world, our personal lives in order to be consistent with a world that we would want to raise our kids in. And that's what I think about all the time as a 21-year-old. I want to hopefully one day be a good dad. And I want to hopefully bring kids into a world that I'm proud of. And so to whatever extent I... I and we and Juve and me and China and you and all of us can work together to create a world where all of our kids can live in a world with a little bit more justice and equality and safety and stability and freedom. I want that. And so I think there's a lot of work necessary to get us there. But I think in the last month, we've gotten a lot closer thanks to the efforts of Black organizers and Black leaders on the ground who've been fighting this fight for so long and so many of whom are only just getting harder in a mainstream way now. But if we keep following the lead of those who are closest to the realities that we need to be focusing on and following their lead and listening closely to them, I think tomorrow is a lot better than today. 
And so I'm encouraged by that and cautiously optimistic that a better tomorrow is possible. Well, I feel like we've we've hit on why you guys are different or how you're standing out in a kind of a traditional category. But I want to come back to it one more time because there there are other folks in the world uh, trying to address corporations or, or organizations' purpose. And as it stands with with the work around that, you know, finding your why, as you mentioned earlier, how do you guys stand out, or you know, how do you differentiate yourself in that in that category? I think having a team of people that are from those ages of 14 to 24 is inherently and fundamentally disruptive in itself. We're making this claim that young people can advocate for themselves. We do our homework. We do our research. We want to hold companies and our clients accountable. And that means that we have a team. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. That is now that target demographic that we're thinking about. And we're really cognizant as a company of, of, of our skews and a privilege and how are you making sure that the voices that need to be at those right tables is actually represented. But for us to have a team where the oldest person is a 24-year-old, I think already makes the conversation fundamentally shift different than it would be with any other agency or any other marketing firm in general. But the larger piece really does come down to what Ziad has alluded to, and that's about action, agency, and access. And for us, that starts on the micro level as individuals, where we think about our own past experiences, our privileges, and the power that we have. And then how does that basically come up for Juve in the work that we're doing? I think when you think about the traditional sector of business and this idea of disruption, which really becomes a buzzword at times, what it really is, is that companies think about their monetary incentive of their giving. That can be a corporate social responsibility program. Maybe it's through philanthropy purposes for individuals and this idea of corporate giving. Jew fundamentally is not just about giving money to an organization and then claiming that we've done our part. You have to make sure that your words and your action and everything from your power, privilege, and access are doing something bigger and greater than just the bottom line. And a lot of our team reflects those interests of social justice and advocacy. Ziad started a nonprofit when he was in the eighth grade. I did women's work and gender equity work when I was in high school speaking at the UN and World Bank. And because of the people on our team and inherently what we believe, we don't think that for us as a company to just do philanthropy or CSR initiatives is enough. And that's why we have a whole social impact arm. We've launched Pro Bono Consulting this year. And we know that our biggest asset is the people on our team. Our product is our people. So we always go back to thinking about 
the people that are on our team and how we're basically giving them the access and agency that we need, but also being mindful of the world around us and how is it that other companies are doing their CSR and ingraining social impact in all of the work that our clients are doing too. I think that the difference falls into the fact that you can't think that just giving money to an organization once all throughout the year is enough. It's this consistent and and truly never ending, right? Work that you have to do to make sure that we're doing our part. We're thinking about systemic issues on a on this broader high level every single day. But at the end of the day, lower income communities and, and working women and people that are people of color, people that have been marginalized consistently in this country, their lives are not changing every day. And that's only through this idea of bringing the public sector, the private sector and different actors and agents of change together is when we uproot that. And for Juve, our responsibility really becomes that we not only make you think differently, but we want you to act differently. And that doesn't just mean having a corporate social responsibility program that you've put on your website, that you have a few executives look over and one person thinking about it. Every single person on our team is thinking about our why, thinking about our purpose and how we're using our money and our capital and our voices to do our part. Well, you guys, just the two of you, as I was reading your your bios and your background, I mean, phenomenal experience already. And it's probably done more than most people do in their entire working careers in the short span that you guys have been working. So, I mean, Shaina, if I'm correct, you you were not only you know speaking in front of the UN, but you were probably one of the youngest persons ever to speak to the UN. Is that right? Do I have that right? Yeah, that's correct. And then you've both started your own nonprofit organizations early I'm guessing in, in high school or, or even maybe slightly before. Shaina, I think you were around coding, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, Ziad, for you, it was uh, Redify, which was more impact focused, I guess, for lack of a better way to describe it. I don't know if you guys want to highlight those experiences, but I was just like, I kept reading and was wondering, wow, you know, like you've already had feet on the ground and real impact in the social community world. Now you're turning your attention, it seems, to business and trying to instill and inject that same experience that you've had and credentials, if you will, into other for-profit enterprises. Is that the best way to describe? I mean, I, I know I'm like paraphrasing your experience, but it took me a little while, like just reading all of the things that you both have done over your careers to this point. Yeah. So what I would say is that first, I center my privilege in any conversation that I'm having. And I have been so tremendously lucky to have had access to the opportunities that I've been able to have access to at such a young age, growing up in Princeton, New Jersey, going to the schools that I've gone to, et cetera. And through Redefy and through China's advocacy, what, you know, what I tell people is that we're not your normal company that is saying, you know, we really care about X or Y issue. And then there's no proof in the pudding. Like, you know, the proof in the pudding for us is the work that we've done, that we've always done, that we continue to do you know, on, on the side. We care about these issues and we've shown up for that since we were like 12, 13 years old. And that's really core to who we are. But what I would say is, it's not a question for me of, did I turn my focus from, you know, social impact work and to business? And I also want to do some underscore that many of our clients, some of our clients are nonprofits or not necessarily the Fortune 500 companies by any stretch of the measure. And so we work with lots of different people and, and, and I would not consider in any way, shape or form that Juve Consulting in and of itself is activism. But what I would say is that, look, me and China are both impact-driven people and we are a company full of impact-driven people. We believe based on where the world is right now, and where our access and agency is right now, that we can make a lot of impact through Juve Consulting right now. The fact that at 21 years old that I have access to folks like you, Al, 
that I have access to some of the biggest leaders, not just in the Fortune 500 space, right, and CEOs, but politicians, right, nonprofit leaders at 21, and I'm involved in policy conversations and have the ability to bring along activists and change makers who I've known from my journey into these conversations and making people feel uncomfortable by bringing truth to power, that feels really impactful and a way to live my life right now. And I think what we're finding with Gen Z writ large is you'll see that almost every generation Z wants purpose or impact to be infused in the work they do. They want to feel, we want to feel like our work is making a difference. So while I, I wouldn't say that Juve is activism, I would say that Sean and I both show up to protest and, and, and are involved in activist endeavors, maybe outside of our work, but Juve is impact focused. And that is really important to us. And I think that that's really important to who we are as a company because it's not just saying something without acting on it. When I'm on the phone and I'm telling people the importance of getting involved and taking action around Black Lives Matter, I'm not doing it because I want anything from them other than I want a world where Black Lives Matter. And I've shown up for that in my action. And I've learned so much from activists like New Paul Piazzolo and Winter Brienne, right, who are friends of mine who have taught me that what I need to do better as an ally and as a leader. And so I try to be constantly learning and showing up for that in my journey. And look, there is tension between corporate interests and the interests of people who are demanding change. And I'm deeply cognizant of that. And so what I try to do is work only with businesses and projects where I feel like we can really be heard and make impact because whether we like it or not, a lot of these companies exist and I believe they need to do a hell of a lot better and they need to change in so many ways if we're going to see a world with more, with more equity and justice. And so that's part of my why and why we fight and why we grow because we believe there's a lot that more, more that needs to change in the business world and the world beyond. And we feel really uniquely positioned to be able to drive impact and to have a seat at the table at such you know young ages through Juve Consulting. And so that's exciting and empowering. And it's not about my voice. You know, I tell clients all the time, I'm most often the wrong person to be talking to. You know what you just alluded to? My life story and journey has not been indicative of the regular generation's years or the average generation's years. And I know that. We're a generation of 2 billion people. And I think you'll hear a lot of people in the Gen Z consulting or you know agency space say they're an expert on Gen Z. You will never hear me use those words. I do not believe it is possible to be an expert on 2 billion people. I do not believe that I know what it is to be a sub-Saharan sub -Saharan African teenager today. I have no idea what that's like. You know, I can speak to my experience and I can connect you to the right young people to talk to. And I can do research on the question and I can be really damn passionate about being young and about Gen Z. And that's what I am. But we will never pretend to be something that we're not. And we will always center our premise that the expert on any reality is the person closest to it. And so let's find that person and have more robust and rigorous conversations with them and forge purpose-driven partnerships wherever and however possible that systemically realign where we're going because the direction that we're going in right now as a world isn't working clearly. And so we ought to course correct as urgently as possible. You mentioned early on that you didn't set out to make Juve Consulting a unicorn, so to speak. But what are you building towards? Uh, you know, do you guys, you know, is it an exit? Is it uh, just continuing down the, the purpose-driven path? Like, just curious, like, what, are you, what do you feel like you're building towards? Yeah. My dream, Alan, is to go out into Times Square where our offices have been for the last few years and to point to something and to be able to say, we did that and we made the world better because of it. And right now I can go out into Times Square and say, hey, we consulted on that, but I don't really love the final product because the agency that implemented on our research and strategy watered it down. And our dream to tell the stories that aren't being told right now, but that we know are true as diverse generation Zers who are living in such a complicated world 
And our dream is to really create products and stories and campaigns that are refreshing because they're honest and because they meet people where they're at and they push us forward. And that's really why we exist and where we want to be growing and going to. And I will do this work for as long as it's fulfilling and meaningful to me and the team around me. And I want to underscore in this conversation and every conversation that I'm the lamest person at Jupe Consulting, not the coolest. My team and the people I work with, I smile like whole, whole mouth, whole body smile at least 10 times a day when I get on the call with my team because I work with the most phenomenally smart and compassionate and kind and brilliant generations, years, and young people that I've ever come to know. And I feel really grateful to be in the role that I am in and to work with the people that I, that I work with. And so my dream is to keep getting to do that, to finding the most amazing young people who didn't always have access to the same opportunities that I've had, who didn't know that these tables existed, that these opportunities were possible, and to say, no, you, you have it and your voice matters and you need to be in every conversation and to making that happen and making that possible. And the fact that we get to do that, we get to tell a 15-year-old, no, your voice does not only just matter in the classroom, but at such a high level, at such a big scale and in facilitating that and amplifying that and making that come to fruition is a real honor and something that I will always be wanting to do more of. And so when I think about where I want to be going, I want to empower as many young people as possible. And so whatever helps us do that is where I want to go. Well, I want to switch gears. One of the things I love to do is uh, get to know the people behind the microphone. And uh, my favorite, frankly, my favorite question to ask, and most listeners know this already, is, you know, has there been an experience of your past that defines or, or makes up who you are today? And I'll just give each of you a little time to, to respond to that. What a loaded question. I think for me, I've always thought about my identity and the intersection of it. I'm Muslim. I'm a woman. I'm South Asian Pakistani. I am someone who's always corrected people when they try to say my name. I've known that I have an ethnic name. Therefore, I'm going to have some struggle telling people how to pronounce it. So my identity has been so essential to who I am, but it really begins, I think, with my family. I think I'm going to the point about being able to speak at the UN or the World Bank. I'm someone who thought about my life in terms of I really need to hustle. As a first-generation low-income college student, I didn't know anyone that was going to college. And for me, being the first in my family to even go to this Ivy League institution was was something that was not basically supposed to happen, quote-unquote. The system or the institutions that are in place were not supposed to make it easier for me to get into school. So this idea and narrative that the American dream exists for immigrant families sometimes feels like the American myth that it's not all what we glamorize and glorify it to be. So for me, my parents, especially my mom, being someone that has from day one been this person of sacrifice that truly lives my life in some ways and a little bit too much to see how I can grow and become a better person. And I think that understanding the impact that our families and, and the values that they teach us as a person of faith, as someone who thinks about the world, not in this binary of black and white, but to understand the gray areas of what's happening for us. But my mom, when I, I remember when I was like in fourth grade and, and going to like, I went to Catholic school for a year because in Brooklyn, the public schools nearby were just not an environment that she wanted me to be in. And she said, I will, you know, for, for I will make sure that you have, an, we have enough money, do not work, worry about anything. And I went to Catholic school for that one year. And, you know, every day my mom would sit down with me, go over my homework and talk to me about the similarities between Christianity and Islam and how we all preach the same things and we, and we believe in the same God and, and go over my homework and my essays and do my poster with me. So having people like that, where I know my, my mom could have gone 
to college in, in Pakistan the year after, but she had to build this family and I, and I was born and all these other things and take the realities of her life and, and still do what she had to do to bring me to the place I am today is not something that I take for granted at any any second. And I live my life with gratitude because of what my mom has taught me and because of my upbringing. So I guess this combination of experiences would really, really define, be defined by my family and my upbringing. And, and knowing that who I am is so much so built in from my past experiences, but that doesn't define the direction or, or the potential that I have to go for in the future. Ziad, you want to answer? Yeah. Look, I think, like, you know, when I said Redefy, a lot of people were like, you know, what was the moment that made you start it? And I don't have one. I don't have one moment that I can point to that says, this is why I started Juve, or this is why I started Redefy, necessarily. But I think, like China, my family has played a massive role in who I am and who I want to be. And I can certainly point to many things that I think have inspired me to be the way that I am and my upbringing. But what I, what I will say is that I am proud to be many things, but nothing more so than being my grandmother's grandson and my mother's son. And having strong women raise me, I think has made me the person that I am today. And I think there were moments where I, I think the moments that most propelled me to action perhaps were the moments where I was most frustrated. You know, and I remember one moment being in a meeting, I think at the White House, you know, as a high schooler and learning that the definition of youth in government sphere is often up until 35 years old, and that there are youth experts who are quite literally in their 50s who are consulting on behalf of us. And I'm sitting here as a 16-year-old at the time thinking, what the heck? A 34-year-old and I have nothing in common. And a 50-year-old and I certainly have nothing in common. And there's no shade there, but you know what I mean? You know, it's not the same cohort, obviously. And if anyone can advocate for us, why shouldn't it be us, right? And, and why shouldn't real, genuine, young voices be heard and listened to. And I think that was a real moment of reckoning and a wake-up call for me of just realizing that I think for so long, people have let people be spoken for. You know, whether that means that the heads of certain ethnic studies departments at universities are still sometimes headed by people who don't belong to those ethnicities, or in the marketing space that people think because they did one research study, they really understand a demographic. I think we have not, I think, you know, we learned in like second grade the importance of primary sources. But somehow, as we get older, we forget that. And we start depending on tertiary sources to decide that we're experts on things. And I think a lot has become lost in that. And if I know anything from my upbringing as an American Muslim, as the child of my mother, and, and, and of somebody who has the most incredible friends who are from all around the world and so many different experiences, is that if we're not constantly surprised by how much we don't know, then we're not doing it right. And so we want to be a company, and, 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 and I think why I started the company and, and, and the moments that made me inside to start the company are the opportunity to wake people up to just how much they don't know, to how much I don't know, and how much more we ought to be learning. Well, what advice would you give your younger selves if you were starting all over? I think for me, the biggest takeaway as time has gone on is how we think about risk and especially about this idea of calculated risk. I met Ziad for three days. And then I joined Juve. And that was something that I did my freshman year of college. And it was just like a gut reaction or a feeling where it felt like this was something exciting and new. But at the same time, I was thinking a lot about my freshman year internship might define my entire career and I have to support my family. And there's so many other questions that I have to consider. Is this really the right thing to be doing? And because what I think for me in college, in high school and when I was in middle school, I, I was just like, I have to take every class possible and have the right 
GPA and, and be the picture perfect student and daughter and everything on paper. But in some ways, I think you lose track or, or you forget the memories that you're going to remember and the people that you want to be to surround yourself with. And in college, I, I think I've got, been very, very lucky and fortunate that I got to take more advantage of that. But there's definitely sometimes just something greater there, whether it's not spending that much time studying for that one test that you have or allowing yourself to feel a little bit disappointed or happy or whatever it is. This I don't even think there's necessarily negative emotions when it comes to how we process things. It's just about understanding why we feel them. And for me, I think really, it, I've always was someone that was, felt like I had to be cookie cutter, that I needed the perfect GPA, that I needed to do everything right. And I think the more and more I, I time as time goes on, I realize how nuanced things are and how for me, I personally think everything does happen for a reason. So ultimately, it becomes one of those things where you just have to balance out all of the work and, and expectations that you have for yourself and then know that it's okay to have a little bit more fun sometimes, go to dinner with your friends and don't just think about the hustle and the grind, but also balance that out with with moments that really do make you just feel good and, and, and happy. Ziad? Yeah, I think similarly to China and one thing that I've been thinking a lot about given the internet climate in the last you know, few months, I think Generation Z is young people. We often are so passionate you know, about social issues and about the world, as we should be. And there's so much to be angry about. And there's so much to be passionate about. But I think I, I found myself doing, and I think I see a lot of my peers doing sometimes, is we care so much about the world that we forget to care about our world and the people right in front of us. And I think my advice to my younger self would be, none of it's worth it if you're not a better brother and son and friend and human. And I'm really proud of Juve and Redefy and the work that I've been able to do and the teams that I've been able to build. But there were certainly things that I missed out on to do the work that I've done and memories that I won't get back. And I think like Shina, my advice to my younger self would be they're not mutually exclusive. And I think I always knew that and I tried to do both, but maybe I didn't always balance exactly as well as I could have or should have. And, you know, we live and we learn, right? But I think there's something so beautiful about youth right? and about being young. And part of that beauty is our ability to be honest with ourselves in the world, to demand change because we haven't yet been jaded. And part of that beauty is we get to laugh and have impromptu moments where we don't have kids to worry about to get home to, where we can just find ourselves in parks and places that we didn't expect for no reason other than to enjoy that moment. And so I think my advice to my younger self would be to let happenstance happen more often. That's good advice. I'm going to transition a little bit to a silly question that I've recently added. And uh, just curious if there's been an impactful purchase of $100 or less that you've made in, let's say, the last six to 12 months. I'm always curious about things that people really find value in these days. For me, it would be my new blue light glasses. Not because I have any evidence of the fact that they make my eyes hurt less because my eyes never hurt to begin with, but because I really like the way that they look. And so they've really upgraded my whole aesthetic. So I'm really happy with my purchase to buy some blue light glasses. But then the other answer would be AirPods, which again, Shine is texting me and saying these things are not under $100. I think they're both around $100. I'm not really sure. But yeah, I would say both of those. Also, a good moleskin notebook. I've started investing in a lot more. I carry around a little moleskin notebook and taking notes by hand has made me feel more human and connected to the people that I'm talking to. And so I think those are the three things that come to mind. Awesome. Shaina, what about you? I'm obsessed with all things stationery. So I'll add on to Ziad's note about his Moleskine notebook and say my Muji pens and anything that has less than like a 0.5 millimeter pen tip is 
life-changing. I truly, I love to write in script. I love doing a little bit of calligraphy. So I definitely prefer a ballpoint pen. No, that's ab- that's objectively wrong. And if you look at Ziad's notebook, you'll see that there's scribbles and it's no, all she's wrong about this. I love myself a ballpoint pen. Fountain pens can get out of here. But I love... <laughs> I love a mechanical pencil. I love a mechanical pencil. But a difference of opinion here. So people can choose their own um, team that they want to be on. But I'm definitely a big fan of Muji pens. um, And I really enjoy a good pilot pen too. So that would be my go-to purchase. It's always reliable. It always works. So. I love it. I love the disagreement. So I want to disagree one more time. So I used to like moleskin a lot, but I started bullet journaling and I love this journal called, I, I'm going to mispronounce this. It's a Lecterm 1917, but uh, it's kind of like a an improved moleskin to me anyway. Lays flat when you open it. It's got two ribbons so you can mark mark two different areas. Of well, moleskins... Too. Not my favorite brand of notebook. My favorite brand of notebook, I can't pronounce it either, is called Mikiorius, Marius, I-Q-U-E-L-R-I-U-S. But I have so many of those notebooks. I love them and you should look into them. They're like colorful and oh, I love them. The paper quality is so good. That's cool. And Shine, I'm going to check out your pens because I'm, I can never find the one that I, I definitely want to be using all the time. So I'm going to check your pens out too. Wait, yes, check them out. And if you're looking for a good mechanical pencil, they have like this slightly overpriced gravity pencil. Check it out. It's like a mechanical pencil and it's really good. And it feels like you look, ver- you feel very official using it. So I love it. <laughs> I love feeling more official every time. Too. Yeah, exactly. Like, there is exactly. something to that, right? Yeah, cool. I appreciate you guys having a little fun with me. I want to end with one last question because I know we're we're short on time. Is what do you guys see as the largest opportunity or threat to marketers today? I would say the biggest threat is our own arrogance is believing that we know better than the communities that we're trying to reach. And I would say the greatest opportunity is listening to the communities that we want to reach rather than ourselves. And I think it's that, yeah, I don't need to say much more than that. Awesome. Yeah, I think in a very similar vein to Zane, well, I just called Diod Zane. Let's let's not. That's the worst thing ever done. I'm I'm like that's gonna, <laughs> this is gonna haunt me for the rest of my life. My bad about that. But in a similar vein to Ziad, I think the inability to be able to make change or just shift our mindset is our, is the biggest hurdle that we experience in, as individuals and in the business world. We live in a world that's changing every day and constantly. And if you're not ready to take the right steps and move on and reshape and rethink your mindset, there's no way that we can create impactful change. Got it. Well, Ziad and Shaina, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. It's been enlightening. No, thank you for having us. And thank you for having these conversations that I think the marketing world needs having. And Thank you for including young voices like ours into the mix. It means a lot. And I'm hopeful to keep connecting with you and to the many people who are part of your orbiting community. As I think as we talked about today, there's a lot of change um, and a lot more conversations that need to be happening in the marketing world that we are really proud to be having at Duke Consulting, but we know there's a lot more that where that comes from. So thank you for having us here and, and looking forward to the conversations to come. Thank you, Alan. Really appreciate it. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to marketing today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart. 
This is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.